Well, thank you again for uh, being here. If you want to open up your copy of the scripture, if you have one, to Philippians chapter 3. It's also a good, uh, lots of good Bible apps. If you didn't, you didn't bring a physical copy of the Bible with you that you can, uh, you can look at. And that way you can check Instagram and Facebook and nobody will know. They'll just assume that you're being godly looking at the scripture. Philippians chapter 3. Uh, my name is Curtis, by the way. And I, I never expected to be a, a pastor. I mean, I always wanted to be a minister. I always wanted to serve people. But uh, being a pastor wasn't really on my to-do list because I'd actually known some pastors. And once you get a peek at their life, it's easy to be like, hmm, pass. Um, like one of my favorite pastors that I had worked for, I remember in one service we were in, somebody got up at the very end of it. He was talking on the stage, got up in the end of it, everybody was quiet, and uh, yelled at the pastor and said, you are ruining this church. So if that doesn't happen this morning, I'm going to feel like that's a win. So... Uh, so I had known him, and I had saw, seen his life, and so I w- wasn't that interested in becoming a, a pastor. Um, but, you know, God has a way of moving you into the places that he wants to be. And so it could be that you didn't expect to be here this morning. If you had told yourself two years ago, this is where I'm going to be on the first Sunday of Bayou City Tomball, you probably would not have expected that. And yet here we are all together. The the Apostle Paul probably knew what that was like. Uh, He was on one of his missionary journeys. He was going around uh, what we now call uh, Eastern Asia and Western Europe, uh, talking about Jesus, winning people to the faith, establishing churches. And Acts chapter 16 tells us that he actually tried to go to what we now know as Turkey, but it said that God prevented him from going there. And then he tries to go to another place called Bithynia, But it says he was prevented from going there too. And while he was puzzled and while he was waiting to figure out where to go next, he has a vision or a dream. And in the vision, uh, somebody from the region of Macedonia says, hey, we actually want you to come over here. So the Apostle Paul goes to Macedonia thinking to himself, what's the best city to start in? He starts with the leading city, the capital city of that area called Philippi. And when he came into Philippi, I bet he felt a lot like what we feel here today. This is not what I would have expected. But when God has a plan, he moves you into place. Once he got into Philippi, he he needed some place to start and he heard there was a, a prayer gathering, of course, not of Jesus followers, but a prayer gathering that happened along a river right outside the city. And so he went there, met some people, met a woman named Lydia, told her about Jesus, and she became the first Christian in Philippi. She was the very first member of that church. And in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul shares with us what I think is the foundation of what would become that Philippian church. Chapter 3, verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Every middle schooler in here was like, what? 
dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. He says in verse 7, but everything that was a gain to me. Now the gain that he's talking about, he has just mentioned in the previous paragraph. Now it won't make a lot of sense to us, but this list was gained to him as a first century Jewish person. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So he says then, whatever was gained to me, but this list was gained to him, him, uh, that he was circumcised on a certain day, that he followed the law of Israel, uh, that not only did he follow the law, but he did it with the gusto of a religious zealot known as a Pharisee. And then he took that zeal a step further and actually opposed and persecuted and was even part of killing people who would oppose honoring God in the way that he thought God should be honored. And that list doesn't make sense to us. That wouldn't be impressive to us here in 2019. But to Paul, if he was speaking to a Jewish audience in the first century, they would have said, that list is gain. That list is impressive. He used that list to justify himself before God and before people. Our list would be a little bit different. But we still have that urge to justify ourselves, make ourselves seem legitimate in front of God and in front of people. So we want to be legitimate before God, so we make sure that we come to church. I don't know that we mean it all the time, but we come because we feel like that's probably what God wants from us. We justify ourselves before people by having a good reputation, by trying to be successful at work, uh, successful uh, and impressive in our neighborhood. Uh, We want to have kids who are successful because we love them, but because we also want to brag about it in front of all of our friends. Uh, We have a three-year-old daughter uh, named Willa. And uh, uh, she does not like school pictures, has never liked school pictures, in fact, has not taken a good one uh, in her whole life since she's had a will of her own. And Friday was school pictures at her little preschool, and when I went to pick her up, uh, they looked at me with resignation because we've been down this road before, and they said we didn't get a, a school pic whenever the, we, we put her in place and the photographer went to snap her picture, she did this. <laughs> Uh, the classic, if I can't see you, you can't see me, which is a great uh, fulfillment of how we started the day. When I walked her into school that day, uh, she had her blanket over her, acting like she was a ghost. No one could see. Right. Right. And, and that's not really something that you want to brag about. You, you don't want to say anytime the spotlight is on our daughter, she shrinks and she uh, hides her face or buries her head in your leg. Right. We want to say things that uh, bring out the awe of people. And that's what Paul's list was. When he would say, I was circumcised on the eighth day, what he's saying is, I come from a family that is spiritually impressive. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, which had a great reputation. I was a Pharisee. I wasn't just a casual attender. I wasn't just doing the bare minimum. I was in this all the way. In fact, so all the way, if someone opposed what I believe, I made them pay for it. But Paul says... That used to be gained to me, but now I have considered it to be a loss because of Christ. I have an economics degree and I had to take an accounting class for the degree and I was terrible at it. I couldn't understand the math. Math didn't make sense to me. 
And in accounting class, they taught us about a profit loss statement or an income statement. Where on one side, you have all the revenue. You have all the things that are adding to the business. And on the other column, you have all the loss. You have all the expenses. You have what's taking away from the bottom line. And what Paul said was, I used to have this list and I put it in the profit column. That was gain to me. That was revenue for me. It justified me in my mind before God and before people. But now I've moved it over into the loss column because there's one thing now in the gain column. That's Jesus. I considered it to be loss. The the first disciples showed this. Remember Jesus went alongside the Sea of Galilee and he met four fishermen. And to each of those four fishermen he said... I want you to come and follow me. And the gospels say that they drop their nets, meaning they drop their equipment. It would be like going to your place of work. And if you're a mechanic, you dropped your tools. Or if you were uh, in an office, you, you left everything on your desk. You left your computer there. You put it on the ground. They left their nets and went and followed Jesus. They were living out what Paul was talking about here. They used to consider their job as prophet, literally. But now they've moved it over to the lost column Because Jesus now filled the profit column, the gain column. And then he widens the scope in verse 8. More than that, I also consider everything to be loss. So it used to just be this this list, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, with zeal that persecuted the church. But now everything else in my life I consider to be a loss. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now Paul lived this out. This I consider everything to be lost. Because after he met Lydia, Lydia invited him over to her house. and Probably introduced him to uh, the people in her home, her friends, her uh, network, the people she had relationships with. But then one day he went to the market. And in the market, he and his friends, his other missionary friends, were uh, walking along and they were having conversations with Jesus, but this, uh, about Jesus to people. But this demon-possessed girl in Philippi began to follow behind them. And everywhere they went, she, was, she would just yell out. Now, she was actually yelling out true things, but you don't want a demon testifying on your behalf. And so the scripture says in Acts chapter 16 that the Apostle Paul became greatly annoyed. Right? So all you parents, you have uh, some biblical support. Greatly annoyed. And he turned around and he cast out that demon. Well, it was a great thing for her. It was a really bad thing for the people that were lording over her at that time because she was actually a slave. And that demon gave her the ability to predict the future. Well, her slave owners now didn't have any way to make money off her. And so they stirred up hostility towards Paul and his friends and and, and they were arrested. And while they were arrested, they were beaten with rods. Then they were thrown into prison. So when Paul says, "I, I consider everything to be a loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, those are not just religious words. Those aren't just words that roll off the tongue. He actually lived that out. Eventually, he did get out of that prison, but Philippians chapter 1 tells us he's writing this letter to that, to that church from a new prison. So even as he wrote these words, he was living them out. 
I consider everything to be lost. Why? Why am I willing to do that? Why am I willing to move what everyone else calls profit or gain over to the lost column for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord? Uh, that phrase, surpassing value, means to, to hold above. I'll never forget during Hurricane Harvey watching the news once uh, TV kind of came back on and watching people leaving their flooded homes. And in almost every picture, they had something in their hands of some value, and they lifted it up above their heads. They're wading through the water, whether it was knee-deep, or it was waist-deep, or it was chest-deep. They had something in their hands that they had grabbed in their home, and they lifted it up above their heads to make sure that it wasn't damaged by the water that they were wading through. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying with that phrase, for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul took an inventory of his home as the floodwaters were rising, as the pressure was on him. He said, what am I going to take with me? I'm going to take knowing Jesus with me. I'm going to leave my home I'm going to leave my valuables. I'm going to leave my reputation. I'm going to leave the things that make me worthy of respect in the eyes of my friends and total strangers. I'm going to leave all that. That's not worth taking. What is worth taking, what is worth holding above, is knowing Jesus. I mean, this is what Jesus himself wanted. He says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd are no, the good shepherd knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. That's a part of being a follower of Jesus. He knows you, and you have the ability to know him. In fact, that's how he summarized eternal life. Not just immortality, but in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus was praying, and he was saying to God, this is eternal life, that they would know you and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent into the world. Knowing Jesus is a gift that Jesus himself has given to us. And the Apostle Paul says, that's what I want. I don't want anything else if it means I can't know Christ. And you may say, well, yeah, that sounds great. I, I know a few people who, uh, who probably think like that. But I am a regular person. I'm a regular person. I have a regular job. Maybe knowing Jesus is easy for you because you didn't want to become a pastor. But now you are a pastor. And what else are you going to do all day long? I'm a regular person. I got regular kids. I got a regular home. I got a regular mortgage. I got regular things. There's this little little verse tucked away in the Old Testament in, in the book of Exodus where, the, where Moses, who was a leader of God's people, not a regular person, would go into this tent and it, it says that he would meet with God. And God was so present there with him that there would be a cloud that would come over the tent when Moses went in it. And Moses had an assistant named Joshua, who compared to Moses was a regular person. And it says that Joshua would go in that tent with Moses. But when Moses came out, just this one little verse, it says that Joshua would stay. And what that says to me is, is regular people, us regular people, not super spiritual, not incredibly qualified. We can know Christ too. It's not just for the elite it's not just for those who don't have a lot to do during the day. It's not just for those who the Bible, Bible reading comes easy or prayer comes quickly. For us regular people, we can know Christ in the same way that the Apostle Paul was talking about knowing Christ. That isn't just for people like him. And then he goes on to say, Christ Jesus 
my Lord. So it's not just Christ Jesus, it's Christ Jesus, my Lord. You cannot truly know Jesus unless you're willing to know him as Lord. So if there are parts of us today that remain unsubmitted to the will and reign of Jesus in our life, there is a lid on our ability to know him. Because he is not just Christ Jesus. He is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ Jesus, my Lord, because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. Which means, well, you know what that means, so I don't need to explain it to you. Uh, Bible commentators tell us that the Apostle Paul is intentional in his words here. Uh, He probably didn't normally have a potty mouth, but here he literally has a potty mouth to make a point. To, To be vulgar so that the Philippians understand the passion with which he's writing these words. He's saying, I want to know Jesus so badly that I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to sit in these prisons. I'm willing to be beat by rods. I'm willing to be poor. I'm willing to be dependent on the generosity of others to have anything in my life. I'm willing to live by faith. I'm willing to be plotted against. I'm willing to do all of those things. And found I, In fact, I count everything else in my life as excrement, as compost, as something disgusting. If it means that I might, in his next words, gain Christ. And be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law. That was his list earlier. Circumcised on the eighth day. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Pharisee. A persecutor of the church. What Paul was doing is trying to be justified before God. Trying to be righteous based on his ability to follow all the rules perfectly. If you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, Ryan uh, spoiler alert, but it's 20 years old, so I don't feel that bad. Uh, I'm guessing if you wanted to watch it, you would have watched it by now. A right, military movie, small band of soldiers who are given an assignment to go and find one particular soldier who's in the middle of the battle to bring him back home to the United States. And long story short, uh, all of those soldiers who went to find this one lost their lives. Well, at the very end of the movie, the last one is dying. Seriously, spoiler alert. Um, the last one is dying and says to Private Ryan, who they've been looking for this whole movie, earn this. Meaning, we all died for you, so you better live a really great life. Can you imagine putting that kind of weight on somebody? How awful. It was not a loving move by Tom Hanks. <laughs> In fact, at the very end of the movie, old man uh, Private Ryan is there at that guy's uh, cemetery stone and is crying because he has tried to live under this pressure to earn that sacrifice. That's what the Apostle Paul was trying to do. He's trying to earn this. Earn justification before God. But how would you know if you were good enough? How spotlessly would you have to follow all of the rules? How perfect would you have to mean it in your heart for God to see you as justified and blameless? And Paul says, I've given all of that up. Once I was introduced to Christ, I've given up trying to earn this. 
not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. Most people you know believe that they are on a staircase trying to work their way up to God. If they believe in God, they are trying to work their way up that stair. And the formula for most people, maybe even many of us in this room, is time and behavior gets me up the stairs. If I behave good over a long period of time, I will make my way up to God. But then I make a mistake, I lie, I gossip, I, I, I have evil thoughts about my boss. You know, some of them are justified, but not all of them. I stumble back down. Depending on how bad it is, that's how many stairs, steps I go back down. And then time and behavior gets me back up. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm done with that. That's not how we get to God. When Christ died for us, was raised on the third day, and then opened the invitation for us to be in Him. We don't have to be on our own. He said, come in with me. Come identify with me and I will identify with you. And when he ascended up to God, we are able to ascend with him. We don't have to walk up those stairs because Jesus has said, come with me. That's what he meant in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. If you want to get up to God, you can't walk up the stairs. You've got to ride the elevator of Jesus. That's how you get to the top. And the Apostle Paul recognizes this and understands it. And he says, I am done earning. I am done with my impressive list. I thought it was in the prophet column, but I have stamped the words loss on all of these things. In fact, everything in my life because of Christ. You may not have expected to be here this morning, but I believe God has arranged the pieces so that you are, and you need to ask why. Why am I sitting here? It's probably a little bit more complicated than you were invited. There may have been some cosmic scheme of our eternal Father to get you here, maybe to be reminded the things that you've had in the prophet column They don't need to be there. Maybe some transferring needs to happen so that you can be reminded of the the joy and the value of knowing Jesus Christ. You could be here this morning because this is really good news and most people don't understand this good news. They're on the staircase and they need to know that there's another way. I read in the Chronicle recently that there are 500,000 people that live 10 miles in every direction from where we're sitting right here this morning. And 500,000 people. Uh, Roughly, there are 100 churches in that same circle. So 10 miles to the west, west, east, north, south, 500,000 people, 100 churches. Now, the 500,000 people, that's the Houston Chronicle, so we'll believe that. The 100 churches, that was my math. Uh, So let's just assume that I'm wrong. There are more than 100 churches. Let's double it. Let's say there are 200 churches. So 200 churches to reach all 500,000 people mean each church needs at least 2,500 people in it. 
the average church in that circle is smaller than 350 people. So if you're following my accounting, I already told you I wasn't good at it. But if you're following me, that means we're in trouble. The math doesn't work out. Number of churches to meet the number of people living in a 10-mile circle in every direction. That's why today is the first Sunday of Bayou City Tomball. Because we need more churches and we need churches doing more. And it could be that you are here this morning, even though it's not what you expected, because you need to do more. You need to do more to share this good news that what everyone else is thinking gain is not true gain. There is a better profit in this world. And that is knowing Jesus. So we'll pray that every week that there is a Bayou City Tomball, those two things would be at the heart. The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord and the good news we need to share with the 500,000 people that surround us this morning. Let's pray.